Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Stress, and this is part four of our series, and we'll put a bow on this thing today. And so, uh, we, we're here because we know that life is stressful. And if I could give you any sense of comfort, here's what I'd like to tell you: um, stress is a part of life, and you cannot fully remove it. It is impossible. I am not here to say, "Hey, if you follow Jesus, all of your stress will be taken away." If anybody tells you that, they're lying to you. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually says, if you follow me, in some ways you might get more stress in life. So just be prepared. This is not a bait and switch. This is not follow Jesus and your life will be turning up petunias and you'll be following the golden brick road and everything will be easy. It's not that way. As a matter of fact, just put it, write this down. The only thing you can guarantee in life are death, taxes, and stress. Yeah, and this is where our stress comes from. When we think about our stress, I want you to think about the fact that like there are good things and bad things that create stress in our stress in our life and... um the, you see how that worked? And so um, trouble creates stress in our life. It just does. If you create, if you are a drama queen, if you feel like trouble follows you everywhere you go, here's what you, you need a reality check. If drama is always surrounding you, eventually you've got to the, come to the conclusion that it's not everybody else. It's you. Okay? If drama is everywhere, the only common denominator is you. And so just be aware that trouble when you, because here's what we know about life, that if you will follow God and walk in his ways, you will remove certain amounts of stress from your life automatically because following in the ways of God will create more peace in your life. I can guarantee that just walking in the ways of God, because here's what I've just determined because I counsel a lot of people and people don't come and see me when everything is great. No one's ever said, Pastor Todd, my life is so wonderful and blessed. I'd like to just come and share that with you. I've never had that appointment. So if you'd like to make it, by all means, call me. But, but I've never had that. You know what they come to me with? Stress and problems and trouble. And here's, here's just what I've recognized. This is the human condition. This is the human behavior. This is the sin equals stress. If you ever wondered why God wanted to remove sin from your life, it's because sin equals stress. And God actually loves you. And as a loving heavenly father, he's trying to set you up for the most blessed life possible. And so by removing sin from your life, he's going to remove stress from your life. And so just be aware that you can't at least do that. But responsibility is a good thing. Again, one of the things we need to do is change the way that we look at stress. The next time you feel stressed, you need to recognize, you know what? This could be just an opportunity to rise to the occasion. This could be an opportunity to trust in my heavenly father. This could be an opportunity to step out in faith because here's what I know about you. Usually the more stressed you are, the more likely it is that you are to depend on God. Because normally when your life is wonderful, you're not desperately seeking God. You're kind of like, you, you just put it on cruise control. God is kind of a secondary thought now. You think, well, man, I got this under control. God, just hang tight. I'll call you if I need you. But when life is stressful, maybe because of responsibility, you turn to God in, in, in your greatest times of stress. And so anyway, stress doesn't always have to be a bad thing. Here's another one, a lack of time. We know this, that like when, whenever we have put too much on our plate, we're running late to everything. We've put ourselves into too many commitments and too many responsibilities. We're stressed out. Uncertainty. I know this is something for me. Do you, just, do you ever just daydream and sit there and think, oh, what about this? Well, what if this happens? Well, what about that? And all we're doing is, is, is we're fixating on the future and all the future uncertainty that we have. And this is why some of you lay at night 
trying to go to sleep and you're so restless and you can't fall asleep at night is because your mind is dwelling on all this uncertainty in your future. And so God's saying, no, 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 there's a way that I want you to handle stress. And we're going to talk about that today. People stress. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. People stress is the worst because you actually can blame somebody for your stress. We don't normally like to blame ourselves for our own stress. You know, trouble creates our stress. But bless God, if you've got a friend or a family member or a coworker or a boss or somebody that's creating stress, that might be the worst because you can fixate on the, the, the origin of your stress. And so just be careful. And, and so some, some of the principles we walk away from when we think about people is this, is we create boundaries in our life. That there are some people that we ought not hitch our wagon to. There are certain people that we don't want to spend too much time with. There are certain people that we want to love, but we want to love them from a distance because by inviting them into our lives or us being so connected to them, so yoked to their lives, we create stress. And then money creates stress. We talked about that last week, that when we don't handle money God's way, that we are going to invite stress into our life. And so today... Rather than pick one more of these things, I actually wanted to take a look at the life of Jesus. Because if anybody handled stress well, I think it was Jesus. And if anybody had the most amount of stress to handle, it was Jesus. Because if you want to talk about burden, if you want to talk about responsibility, oh yeah, by the way, you're supposed to be the savior of the world. And not just at any one generation, we're talking about you're the savior of the of the world, past, present, and future, all people, all gender, that's on you. That's a lot of stress. That's a lot of pressure. Man, if you've ever felt the pressure to provide or the pressure, the weight of responsibility is that maybe a, a man or a husband or a father, moms, if you've ever carried the weight of responsibility in, in, in your job or in your home, or you, you'd feel this weight. I remember this as a young man. The first time I got this real job opportunity, I'd gone from being working at a church to being the youth pastor of this is really large youth group. And I remember it was the first time in my life that I looked in the mirror and my hair was thinning. You ever notice how your body responds to stress? If we don't see stress right and we let stress overwhelm us, some people get headaches. Your immune system begins to shut down. Some of you get ulcers. You don't sleep well at night. And yes, for some of us, maybe there's a genetic component to it. But for some of us, our hair begins to thin. I saw somebody today I hadn't seen in a long time. I'm like, oh, you cut your hair off. Why'd you do that? Really? <laughs> so anyway, my point, my point is, is that our, our responses to stress can overwhelm us. But if we will follow the life of Jesus and look at what he did, because again, if anybody had stress, I think it was Jesus. Think about this. Even his very first miracle, his miracle came from stress. His mother is in charge of a wedding. Now, if you've ever been a wedding coordinator, or if you're just the crazy aunt yelling at everybody, you know what it's like. Trying to lead a wedding is like herding kittens. The groomsmen are never where they ought to be. And nobody, somebody forgot their sachet or their way. There's always chaos at a wedding. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, is trying to lead and coordinate a wedding. And they, the worst thing that could possibly happen happened. They ran out of wine. So there's no wine. And these are like multi-day weddings. And she is stressed. This was on her. She was supposed to be the wedding coordinator. And so she looks at Jesus and is like, look, 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 look. That whole God thing. Remember when them angels showed up and everybody said you were special? Remember that whole thing? I need you to step into that because you ain't done nothing yet. And I need you to do something to bail out me. I need you something to alleviate my stress. And so she looks at all these servants. And she says, you, whatever he says to do, you just do it. And you, it's time to go, Right? And so Jesus turns water into wine as his very first miracle because his mom is stressing out. 
Think about, think about this. Jesus, when he was uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane leading up to the cross, it says that he was, he was praying. And it basically talked about how his, his forehead, he was sweating drops of blood. And that's actually like a medical condition to stress that literally your capillary, anybody ever had that before? Don't raise your hand. But, but your capillaries can burst in your forehead because you're so, you're so stressed. And so listen to this. This is what Jesus actually said. He actually says he's going to be stressed. And if Jesus is going to be stressed, you're going to be stressed. If God himself come to earth and is stressed, you certainly will not escape stress in your life. So Luke chapter 12, listen to this. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. This is kind of in reference to him talking about the cross and the crucifixion and how great is my what? My distress until it is accomplished. Now, they would have never used the word stress. This is an English term. As a matter of fact, the word stress didn't even become a a, a real word that we would have used until the late 1800s, early 1900s. Before that, it was a physics term for the amount of weight exerted on an object and how much it could handle. And then we realized, no, this is life. The amount of weight you can put on a human being before they break and before they, they snap. The word he used there is a Greek word that literally meant the squeeze. Like it was the squeeze. It was the pressure. They would talk about like squeezing things, holding things, gripping things, pressuring things. That's the word he used there. And he goes, man, I'm, in, I'm living in the squeeze. I've got pressure around me on every side. Like there's a legitimate pressure on my life. But yet, if you were to walk with Jesus, even though he had incredible stress around him, when you look at his life, he actually never gets stressed out. You and I have stress and then we, we show it with hair loss. Because in Revelation, it says he's got really nice hair. So he didn't lose his hair. Have you ever noticed that when you're stressed, you lose your temper and you get frustrated? Come on now. I'm not the only one, right? You get stressed and all of a sudden you get short-tempered and you get a little quick with your words, get a little, get a little tone and pitch. Why? Because you're stressed. You ever, you ever have restless nights and sleepless nights and anxiety and all this? I don't see that happening in the life of Jesus. It seemed as, because you ever notice like he never gets mad, just blows up at people. Like that's what I would do if I were stressed out. I just, I might blow up, I might blow a gasket. It doesn't say that the, the only exception would be is when he's correcting the Pharisees. I mean, that would be the only time he ever kind of gets angry at anybody is he's correcting these, these bad religious leaders. But other than that, he seems to love people. He seems to be at peace. He seems to be focused. Let me show you six things that I think Jesus does that helps alleviate the stress. And I think that if you'll do these things that you will actually, number one, be walking with Jesus to a degree and you will know what to do with your stress when it comes. This is the very first principle I want to give you. Number one is this, Jesus knew who he was. And this is the principle I want you to live by. You got to know who you are. Whenever you don't know who you are, you always respond in your insecurity, which by the way, we're all insecure. And the, the, the less it is that we understand who we are, made in the image and likeness of God, what God has said about us, what God believes about us, what God thinks about us, when we live out of what we think about us, when we live out of our past mistakes, our past regrets, our failures, what they said about us, you are always going to be responding to life out of your insecurity, and that leads to really, really poor decision-making. And so Jesus really knew who he was. Like, it goes back to the beginning of his ministry. There's this moment where he walks up to John the Baptist, He gets baptized in the river Jordan. And when he comes up out of the water, it says that everybody hears this audible voice. And the audible voice speaks and says, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. 
Now, what's amazing is that, again, he hadn't preached a sermon yet, hadn't healed anybody, yet, no, no miracles yet. No, this was before he did anything. And yet his father is saying, this is my son, and I'm already pleased in you. This is not about what you can accomplish or what you failed at. This is not about who you are. and This is about who I said you were. And I'm telling you that you're my son and I already loved you and I already pleased. And funny enough, the very next thing Jesus does is he walks into the desert and he fasts for 40 days, which by the way, you ever get hangry? Yeah. So, so, and he's out in the desert and he begins, uh, this dialogue with this, this, there's this story where he dialogues with Satan. And then it says that as Satan is tempting him, that the very first response that Jesus gives is this. Is look, I know who I am because the Satan's temptation was, hey, if you really are the son of God. Well, that wasn't a question for Jesus. He knew who he was. If you go read the book of John, this is really, really clear because the whole book of John is based on this idea. This is where Jesus was, hey, by the way, I'm the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And these are the things that he kept saying about himself. My point would be this. Jesus understood who he was. And I need you to understand who you are. Because as you read the rest of the New Testament, you know what the apostles are constantly trying to do, I believe? They're trying to change the way that you see yourself. Because all throughout the rest of the New Testament, when you read the epistles and the writings of the the, the apostles, what they say is this. Hey, you're a child of God. You're an overcomer. You're redeemed. Look look at all these things. Let me just read a few. Uh, You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're God's workmanship created for good works. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. Like They just keep going. By the way, I've got three pages worth of scriptures that speak to this idea of you got to know who you are and if you will truly embrace not what you think about you not what your parents said about you not what your teacher said about not what life circumstances not your past failures but if you will just let god define who you are and actually live out of that man try taking on your stress not with your insecurities but with this incredible sense of confidence Knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, it's a game changer. Know who you are in Christ Jesus. And I promise you'll begin to feel the stress relieve off of your life. Knowing who you are really begins with knowing whose you are. And when I know my life is in his hands, that God has got this thing figured out. God has never sat on the throne and lost sleep at night. God has never sat on the throne and thing like, ooh, the hair, ooh, that's a little thin back there. These people are wearing now. Nothing has ever surprised God. God has never looked at your sin and be like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe what she just did. And yet he loves you and has invited you and he called you and he sent his son to die for you because, because you are worth so much to him. You got to know who you are. Number two is this principle that Jesus lived by is know who you're trying to please. I'm telling you what, when you realize that I don't have to perform for other people and live up to other people's expectations and, 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 and feel everybody else's guilt or weight or feel the pressure to, to like, cause here's the deal. If you don't know who you are, you always live by somebody else's definition. And if you don't know who you're trying to please, you're going to end up trying to make everybody happy. And let me just help you real quick here. Cause most of you figure this out. You will never be able to please everyone. It's impossible. Jesus couldn't do it. You and I can't do it. You cannot please everyone. So you have to create this motto in your life. And your motto needs to be this. I perform for an audience of one. 
That's the motto that I live by. I perform for an audience of one. And as long as I live my life trying to honor God, I know that I will be okay. Because sometimes they'll like me and sometimes they won't and they will and they will. Have you ever felt that way? Like I can't make everybody happy. Well, you can't. So you live your life trying to please God. That's the way that you live life. And so listen to this. I, I want you to think about this idea that when you, when you, when you think about Jesus, John chapter five, he says this, know who you're trying to please, right? Listen to what he says. He goes, by myself, I can do nothing. If that doesn't change your perspective, I don't know what will. Because if the son of God says, by myself, I can do nothing, why would you think you could take on the weight of the world by yourself? By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just, but I seek, listen to this, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. You know what Jesus realized? Hey, look, y'all gonna get jacked out of shape. Y'all are gonna get mad at me. There's some sermons y'all are not gonna like. There, I'm going to say something. You got to remember this. Jesus preached. There was one sermon where Jesus preached and it got weird. Don't get me wrong. It got weird. And it said, everybody left. Even the disciples were like, dang, dude, let's just slip out of here. And Jesus was like, hey, hey, are y'all leaving too? Like he had times where people were trying to kill him. And he, you know, he realized, look, I can't please all y'all. You're not going to like everything I do. You're not like every sermon I pray, hey, but I'm okay with that. Because I don't really care what you think of me. I care that I please my heavenly father because I am only here to please the one who sent me. If you begin to live life like that, then everybody else's expectation and the stress that they put on you will begin to be relieved. Somebody say that was good. That was good. Number, number three is this. Know what you want to accomplish. Know what you want to accomplish. Purpose-driven people are not stress-driven people. See, when you know, like, because again, it's, so it, you, you can see how it connects together. Well, number one, I know who I am. I know who I'm trying to please. And I know what I'm trying to do in life. Because many times, this is where the time factor comes in. Many times you keep saying yes to everything that people ask of you. Or you keep saying yes to everything that you think you ought to do. You have, you have too many commitments. You're over, you're, you're, you're overstretched. You're thinned out. You commit your kids to every sports activities. You say yes to every need and demand around you. And you know what happens is with people that live like this, you get to the end of your life and you recognize that you've been busy, but you haven't had haven't actually accomplished a lot. Why? Well, we were stress-driven, not purpose-driven. Because when we don't, write this down if you're taking notes, when we don't have preset priorities, we surrender to the tyranny of the urgent. Have you ever been there before? You just keep going from one thing to the next. You keep doing one thing to the next. And then all of a sudden, you know, months have passed by and you're like, no, I've lost sight of my real priorities. Jesus knew this. As a matter of fact, there's this fantastic story. We celebrate Mary a lot. Um, and it's cool to celebrate Mary during Christmas season because, you know, she's, she gave birth to Jesus and it's a really cool thing. But there, there's, a, have you ever felt like a bad mom? Let me help you feel better about yourself. It says that when Jesus was 12 years old, that they take a caravan to go to the temple to celebrate one of the feasts. And it says that when the feast was done, that they all packed up the caravan and traveled back home. And it says that they lost Jesus. Now, have you ever lost your kids before? Don't raise your hand. Don't do that. My mom lost me once. She like flipped out. We were in the mall and I have a problem shopping even to this day. I have like a limit, right? Guys, do you feel me on this? Like I have a limit. 
I got about 20 minutes and then I'm fried, right? I cannot handle walking around in a mall. It just drives me nuts. Now, if I'm just by myself shopping for me, I'm okay because I stay focused. I just go, you know, like this. But if I'm just wandering around following my wife, which my wife has these weird ways of shopping. It's just doodle shopping. It's just, oh, look, look at that color. And so that's, that's the way my wife shops. Oh, look, that's on sale. Yeah, but you're still spending money. Stop it. Anyway. So I have this problem with shopping. So my mom is shopping and she, she shopped much the same way. And so I would get bored after about 20 minutes. Did y'all ever play in the middle of the rack? Remember the clothes rack? You get in the middle. So I would hide from my mom a lot. She just thought I was hiding. What I'd actually done was gone back to like the door, like the front door. And I just sat down in the shoe section waiting for my mom to be done. I thought I was being a responsible eight-year-old. She loses me, flips out, calls security. They got cops everywhere. I'm just being an angel. Sitting by the door, waiting patiently. And this is before you had like Game Boys and iPads. And I just sitting there doing nothing. Anyway, and my mom lost me. And she, to this day, if you bring it up, she gets like a panic. She, she felt it, right? My mom lost me after about 20 minutes. It says that Mary lost Jesus and didn't know he was lost until after three days. It literally says, and after three days, they realized Jesus was not around. Now, you would think, that's the son of God. you got to keep an eye on him. That's special. can't lose it. I mean, lose one of the other ones. Don't lose that one. So it says that they lose Jesus, didn't realize that he was lost. But actually, he wasn't lost. He's like me. Look, I know what I'm doing. I'm in the shoe section. I'm waiting by the door. I know what I'm doing. What are you doing? It says they go back to the temple because they've been looking for him. And they found him in the temple. And when they find him, can you imagine how mad Mary had to have been, how livid as a mother? Like, where did you go? And he goes, what, 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 what? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? He was in the temple. He goes, no, no, I got to work. This is what I'm supposed to do. I knew that when I was here, that I was supposed to be here. Because I, and again, That's the way you ought to live your life. You ought to live your life. And again, the idea needs to be, I need to be about my father's business. And if you'll be about your father's business, you'll get to the end of your life or you'll get to the end of the next season of your life and you'll say, wow. Look at what I actually accomplished. Why? Because I was purpose-driven, not stress-driven. That's good. Number four is this. Focus on one thing at a time. I want you to know this. You can uh, do anything that you want, but you can't do everything you want. Let me say that again. You can do anything you want. You can't do everything you want. That's just life. There's only one of you. And you have to realize this. You have to think about this. Is that God purposely restricted himself and put himself into a body. He was given one place at one time, at one location. He still had to eat. He had to sleep. He had to use the bathroom. He gave himself all these incredible limitations. He was as limited as you and I were when it came to accomplishing things. But what you see about Jesus is this. He just focused on one thing at a time. Now, I I imagine that he had a lot on his plate. But he was focused on one thing at a time. I'll prove it to you. Listen to this scripture. This is such an interesting scripture. It says this. It says that in Luke chapter 4, it says that when it was day... He departed and went into a deserted place. So he just left. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Again, stress, pressure, expectations, demand. But he says to them, he rejects that. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this what? This purpose I have been sent. I need you to see that Jesus had, you gotta remember this, whenever Jesus went to a town, people would find out that he was there and go grab all their broken and and dysfunctional and sick people and drag them to Jesus. 
There was a constant need and a constant demand for his time. There was pressure everywhere. And he was able to, able to say, look, this is God's purpose for my life. And I can't do everything. And this is what I know I'm supposed to go do next. So let me focus on one thing at a time. The greatest thing you can do, if you've got 12 things you've got to get done in the next two or three days or whatever it is, the greatest thing you can do is never look at all 12. Set them all out in a row and then flip them on its end and just do one at a time. Figure out the best, ask for wisdom, ask for guidance and do one at a time. Why? Because you can't do it all. You can only do one thing at a time. You, the idea of multitasking is, 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 a, is a bit of a fallacy. You can only really focus your mind on one thing at a time. And Jesus was incredibly good at that. He kept focusing on one thing at a time. And, and again, when you focus on only one thing at a time, you know what you create in your life? Margin. And I believe this. The greatest moments in life happen in the margins. If there is no margin in your time, and you're stressed out because you put 10 things on your plate to do at once, you're going to miss something special with your spouse, with your kids, with your purpose, with somebody that might need your help. I'm telling you, margin, the greatest moments in life, they happen in the margin. Number five is this. Don't go it alone. If you're taking medicine, it's 1103, and I've only got a couple more. Don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. Never do life on your own. Life is better with friends. Life is better with people that pray for you. Life is better with people that encourage you. Life is better when you can like dump some of the load and say, man, would you please just help me out real quick here? We do this all the time. We have three kids. It's like, oh my gosh, can you please help? Or sometimes you go through something in life and you're like, can you please pray? And I'm telling you, life is just better. Look at what Jesus did. He models this. This is, I'm not making this stuff up. This is what Jesus modeled. It says that Jesus went up to a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Now, this is a side note. Only call people you want. Um, there's, a, there's an old rule that says never hire somebody that you're not willing to go on vacation with. Um, be careful who you invite into your life. Because again, you might be inviting people into your life that wear and stress you out. I'm not saying don't love those people. I'm just saying don't hitch your wagon to those people. Those are not the inner circle. But he calls those he wanted and they came to him. And he appointed 12. Everybody say 12. 12 is the number of government in the Bible. There were 12 tribes over the nation of Israel. You see this 12 theme reoccurring. 12 is the number of government. And so... Jesus does this. Now, it wasn't weird for them to, uh, for rabbis to have disciples. That was commonplace. Many of them had schools. They had disciples. People followed them. But it says specifically that Jesus chose 12 people. And listen, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. You know what he realized? There's too many cities, too many towns, too many villages. I can't get to all of them. You know what I'll do? I'll raise up 12 guys who can help me out and carry the load. Now, let me ask you a question. Were these 12 guys great preachers? Probably not. Because if you've ever hang out with fishermen before, they're characters. You ever notice people on boats are a little crazy? That's a, you know, boat people, or you are a boat person. I don't know what that is. But boat people can be crazy. Water people can be crazy. Fishermen. Can you imagine Peter's first sermon? I bet he cussed. I bet, I bet a cuss word slipped out. I'm just telling you, we're, my frame like this. Would Jesus have been more effective and a better preacher than these 12? Of course. It didn't stop him though. See, here's what stops you from delegating, from really turning your life over to other people. The first thing is perfectionism. The reason why you don't want to delegate, it's like a pride in you that says, bless God, if I want it done right, I got to do what? Do it myself. They can't do it as good at me. I need to be in control. And your need for control, your need for perfect, your need, those are driving you into stress. And the other one is this, it's not just perfectionism, but it's insecurity. Because some of us don't delegate. 
Because something small on the inside wells up and it says, well, if I don't do this, I won't be important. If I don't do this, they won't need me. And you have a need to be needed. And your insecurity is driving you to do that. So you become a people pleaser. You become, you become, again, so focused on other people's expectations. And then you so have to need everything to be about you. And what you don't realize is that your insecurity is driving you into distress. And the greatest thing you can do in life is be a part of a small group. Be a part of a group of people. Have a group of people around you that are friends, that love you, pray for you, believe in you, help you. I'm telling you, life is better with friends. Never go it alone. Number six is this last one, and I'll close here. Number six is this. Take time away. This is so important, and this is, this is a broad term. Like, sometimes you need a vacation, like, do it wisely so that you don't stress yourself out financially. Do it wisely, but sometimes, bless God, you need a vacation. Sometimes you need to walk away and take a deep breath. Sometimes you need to, like, have a moment of peace to yourself. Life is stressful. Jesus did this constantly. Listen to this, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, I find that to be a little bit strange. Jesus, you're the son of God. Why do you need to pray? What it showcases is this. If Jesus had to pray, there's no doubt you have to pray. And what he did was, is he took time away. He said, look, the demands and the pressures and the stresses of life, they're, they're too much. And number one, I can't do it on my own and I can't do everything. Man, if I don't go and just be with my heavenly father, if I don't go and spend time with God, I won't have the energy. I won't have the sanity. I won't have the peace of mind. I won't have the grace to love other people and treat other people the way that they deserve to be treated. I, I, just, won't, I just won't have the strength to do it. I won't have the ability to pull it off. If Jesus, the son of God, needs to take time to pray, bless God, I know you do. And there's a certain kind of prayer. I don't want you to think that when I say pray, I mean, while you're running late and breaking speed limit laws, you're like, Lord, help me. That's not prayer. I mean, it kind of is, but it's, that's not what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, Paul says it like this. He says, which sounds crazy. He says, be anxious for nothing or be stressed about nothing. But in everything, meaning like, don't let it stress you out. But with all your stresses in everything, I want you to pray. He said, I want you to, with thanksgiving and, and request, I want you to bring your prayers to God. And he says, if you'll do that, he said, there's something called the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, meaning this. And if you've ever experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. There's a peace that can hit your life that even in the middle of your stress, it will make no sense. You're like, God ought to be falling apart right now. For some reason, I just feel at peace with you. He said, there's a peace that surpasses understanding. And it'll guard your heart and mind. Because when you're stressed, have you ever noticed the things that tug on your heart, the things that weigh on your mind? He said, it'll guard your heart and your mind. Because pray in everything through supplication and request and thanksgiving. The type of prayer that I think Paul was talking about was not a quick Hail Mary while you're running late. It was not a quick prayer. It was, I think, a meditative prayer. I think it was a prayer that focused. It, number one, it had to take time away because you can't do this while surrounded by distractions. If you're feeling stressed right now, one of the greatest things you can do is take time away like Jesus did. Early in the morning, late at night, during your lunch break, you have to retract. You have to pull away from the, the crazy and the, distress, the stress and the, and, the, and the chaos around you. And you have to pray. You have to meditate. You have to actually fix it. And this is what I would say. You don't pray to see if the stress leaves. 
You pray until the stress leaves. And that's what Jesus modeled. So Jesus finally kind of encourages you with these last words that I'll give you. Because he says, I want you to follow me. I've modeled this life for you. I'm going to teach you how to live life. I'm going to teach you how to like overcome stress. But listen to what his plea is here in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Isn't that just another way of saying you're stressed out? You have got a burden and a load on you that you were not designed to carry. Have you ever noticed that when God refers to you as an animal, he refers to you as a sheep? Sheep are not load-bearing animals. You ever notice you've never seen like somebody hitch a wagon to a sheep? You never put a big pack and a big weight on a sheep? You're not an ox. You're not a donkey. You're sheep. You are not meant to carry that load. So he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble of heart. And you will actually find rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray this morning. The greatest thing that you can do in prayer, again, is you don't pray to see if stress leaves. You pray until it leaves. And in your prayer, sometimes you have to release the thing that's stressing you out. You have to remove the burden. Peter said it like this. He said, you cast your cares upon God because he cares for you. You take your burden and you set it down. And so right now, I want you to do that in prayer. Some of you have marriage stress right now. And you're not going to be able to fix it on your own. But can you cast that care upon God right now? Can you say, God, this burden is too much for me to bear? I can't fix my spouse. I can't change my spouse. But God, would you do a work in them? And would you do a work in us, God? And would maybe you change me? God, some of you have parenting stress right now. What's going on with your kids? Can you cast that care upon God now? Say, God, you know, I can't, I can't control everything my kid does. I can't control everything around them. But God, you are in control. God, his burden is easy. His burden is light. Some of you have financial stress right now. You don't know how you're going to make ends meet and pay for this. and You've racked up debt. Can I tell you there's a way? There's a way. Will you cast your cares upon him? If there's somebody here today that says, Todd, I can't do it alone, and would you pray for me? Would you do me a favor again with every head bowed and eye closed? If you just say, Todd, would you pray for me? I'm going through a stressful situation. Would you just slip your hand up in the air? Just, just me and you. I'll just know. I'll just know. I'll just know to pray for you. There's a burden. There's a weight. There's a stress, Todd. Would you please pray for me? Amen. Father, I lift up these hands, God, and I lift up all these people. Lord, would you please give them a peace that doesn't make sense? Would you give them a strength and a grace that is sufficient to get them through their season of life right now, God? They're going to feel stress, but God, in the midst of their stress, would they feel your presence and would they feel your peace? Lord, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Will you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.